live from inside your speakers, this is Hardcore Casual, your place for weekly gaming and entertainment news. Please welcome your host, Wack Ops. Greetings from Earth, this is not your leader. My name is Wack Ops. How you doing? Welcome to Hardcore Casual, episode number 21. Oh, it feels good to be back in the booth, y'all. I'm so happy to get into this. We're looking forward to February this month at all the upcoming releases. Get your wallets ready. We're also looking at the Steam Deck rollout as it begins next month. Very exciting stuff. We're also going to be doing a little Pokemon Legends Arceus review. I have not beat it yet, but let me tell you, I'm about 10 hours in and I have just been grinding and I'm having a great time. So we'll get into that. And lastly, for our trigger warning topic of the week, we are going to talk about Call of Duty exclusivity because we did not touch on it last week. But before we get into all the news, I want to tell you about how you can support the show. Please write in with your comments, questions, and concerns to wackops at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z at gmail.com. You could also reach us on Instagram and on Twitter at WACOPS, once again, W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. Please subscribe, share, download, and review if you are so inclined. But with that, let's go ahead and jump right into our headliners. That is where we tell you what made the front page this week in Games Entertainment. And we're going to start right off with the Steam Deck rollout as it begins on February 25th. That's right. For all of you who have been holding your breath, getting super pumped for the first handheld PC, uh, I'm, I'm very excited for everybody. So, for those of you who have reserved your Steam Deck and are first in queue, basically um, on st- the Steam page they post this week all the, the instructions on how to get your Steam Deck as quickly as possible and avoid losing your spot in the queue. So, Customers that reserve the Steam Deck will have 72 hours to confirm their purchase via email or they will lose their spot in the queue. They will be sending you an email. If you don't respond within 72 hours, you're out. You got to go to the back of the line. So they will be rolling out weekly emails as they move through the queue. So those of you who are a little later in the queue, perhaps second, third uh, in in those different uh, time slots, definitely cross your fingers that people are not hearing this message and so you can get your unit sooner. But I definitely hope nobody gets kicked back to the end of the line because that would be very, very unfortunate. From what I understand, the queue is rolling all the way into holiday 2023. So almost a full two years you would have to wait if you missed this email. So just a heads up to you. Now, units will begin shipping on February 28th. That's right. You click confirm you pay with your purchase and within three days they will be shipping it to you so we should have steam decks in hand in the wild not review units not to different press organizations and and things like that to regular paying customers at the beginning of march i'm very excited about that now for our next story just a little bit of nintendo news because i know how many people love all of nintendo's back catalog nintendo has announced that The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask will be coming to Nintendo Switch Online Plus Expansion Pack in February. That's right, they have already announced their February release, and it is the critically acclaimed Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. I'm very excited. It should be noted that Nintendo also made minor improvements to the controversial Legends of Zelda Ocarina of Time, that if you guys are familiar, launched with the Expansion Pass on the Nintendo Switch, 
but I was missing some key visual assets such as fog, water reflection, and things like that that could potentially affect how you play the game or just being immersed in the game world. So let's hope that they are able to produce a proper uh, rendering of The Legend of Zelda of Majora's Mask and not have it be another Ocarina of Time incident with their online service. Speaking of online services, let's go ahead and talk about Battlefield 2042. I haven't talked too much about it as, one, I did not buy it, I haven't played it, I've heard the news probably like the the rest of you have, and it's absolutely atrocious launch. But today I want to share with you guys that Battlefield 2042 could potentially be going free to play. Now this is from Tom Henderson by way of VG247, so I'm going to read you a quote. Quote, in a new video discussing the state of DICE, Henderson claims that EA is exploring potentially making one component free to play. Though it's unclear at this stage which part would qualify, the thinking points to either Portal or Hazard Zone. The former is more likely, according to the report, because Hazard Zone only attracts a few hundred players each day, so it wouldn't make the best impression slash convert players to the full game. So, no, all of Battlefield would not be going free to play if these reports are true because this is still within the rumor territory, but it would be a big deal because it proves and bears out how horrible of a launch this was. This is one of the worst launches in recent memory in the uh, post-Cyberpunk 2077 video game landscape that we live in. It's also one of the worst rated games in Steam history, which is saying something. You know what I mean? Steam ratings are not like meta critic ratings where anybody can just make an account and post. No, Steam actually logs how much time you've played and people who have played the game are not happy about it. Actually, so much and so that the current player count is lower than the previously released Battlefield 5, which is a World War II shooter, which, as you guys know, many people in the first-person shooter landscape are kind of tired of the World War II thing, but they would rather play that than the latest, just recently released in the last four months, Battlefield 2042. Now, many of the reasons of why people do not want to play this game come down to how many missing features there are. I'm going to give you a very, very, very short list, because if you want to find it, please go to the Battlefield 2042 Reddit page. They have a list of all the different features that are staples of the, or what, EA has referred to as legacy features to the Battlefield franchise. So, Team Deathmatch, a scoreboard, major communication features, a class system, customization options, stat tracking, community servers, and dozens more. And that's before you get into all the bugs and the glitches that this game has gone through. So, EA and DICE are deciding what they're going to do to be able to boost the player count and get people into the ecosystem again, and that's making some of this free-to-play. I do feel for all of those people who did the pre-order bonuses and paid full price and got the special edition and this and that and this and so, because at the end of the day, I would feel played out by EA. And honestly, this 
this title might be the death of the Battlefield franchise, in my opinion. It If they do come out with another one, they're definitely going to have to reassess their either their time scale or they're just the scale of the game because they cannot have another game fall flat the way that Battlefield 2042 did. And I think the last really well-received Battlefield game, it's been well over, I don't know, six years, seven years since this franchise has been considered a core competitor to the uh, aforementioned Call of Duty. So that's a little bit of the headline news for you guys. With that, let's start talking about what is coming to your consoles and your PC in February. So let's talk about these February releases. Get your wallets ready. I'm sure we're all going to be broke until April with this list that I'm about to present. So first things first, Dying Light 2 Stay Human is coming to us February 4th. That, of course, is the post-apocalyptic open-world zombie action RPG. Uh, Very excited for this one. A lot of hype. It looks like it potentially could be a very, very good, if not the best, of the open-world zombie RPGs that we've uh, been exposed to over the last couple of years. Next, on February 8th, we get two games. First is the a very highly anticipated skateboarding action platformer, Ali Ali World. This is definitely on my buy list. And second, on February 8th, we get Sifu, the uh, very highly anticipated, once again, all of these, uh, beat em up uh, with roguelite elements. This is where you play as a young man, you go and fight. If you lose, you come back a couple years later as an older man and get older and older and older, and um, your powers are able to build on themselves. Very excited for this one, I think. The gameplay looks very um, very uh, tactile and frenetic. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this one. Now, let's get into the big dogs. On February 18th, we get the sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn. That's right, Horizon Forbidden West is coming to us on February 18th. I know this is already being considered a game of the year contender, but we will have to see. I can't wait because I think reviews are going to start dropping, or at least previews are going to start dropping sometime in the next couple of weeks. Very excited for that one. Um, Next, on February 22nd, we have Destiny 2 expansion, The Witch Queen. For all of you guys who play Destiny 2, I used to. I've fallen out of it, but... For all of you who are in the Destiny 2 ecosystem, The Witch Queen, from what I understand, is one of the most highly anticipated DLCs that you've gotten to date, so look out for that on February 22nd. And lastly, on February 25th, From Software's first open-world Souls-like game, Elden Ring, is coming to consoles and PC. Very excited for this one. Um, From what I understand, and from some people who have had the opportunity to get their hands on the game, this game is going to be slightly more accessible than previous Souls games made from From Software. But either way, I'm very excited for that portion of the gaming community at large. I know Souls-like games are renowned from front to back, so I'm excited for... um, for this one to be released again, Elden Ring on February 25th. Now, now that you know what's coming out in February, let's get into some of the nitty gritty. Let's get to the word on the street where we talk rumors, gossip, and controversy. First things first, we're starting off with two rumors from some giants in the tech space. The first comes to us by way of Peer Xbox. Uh, This is according to Jez Gordon. Apple, that's right, Apple, like iPhones, may be looking 
to make its way into the video game console market. Now, according to Jez Gordon, Apple has allegedly been poaching Xbox engineers. Uh, engineers being, you know, the people who make hardware. Very exciting stuff. Now, it should be noted that Apple tinkers with a lot of things. They kick a lot of ideas around, and many of which never come to fruition. Same with a lot of big tech companies. Their R&D departments are insane. But being that engagement, as in time, is more important to companies now than unit sales, uh, I think it's important to note that's why you have these metaverse concepts being an investment for companies like Facebook or Meta, as they're called now, Microsoft, and now potentially Apple. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if Apple did not make a metaverse play, but if they go by way of the video game console, that would be a surprise to me. Now, this was not the only company named as potentially getting into the console market or at the least very, making a very strong play into the metaverse space. Um, Tencent, Google, and Amazon have also been mentioned in rumors around new consoles coming to market. So it is less of a question of what they're making, but who's going to be making what and when. So I'm very excited to see if we get another player in the video game console space, even though consoles are kind of going the way of the dinosaur, and I think cloud gaming and digital gaming and not ha not needing a console is something that, because Microsoft is pushing for, that is probably the direction that the industry is going to end up going. Uh, again, except for Nintendo, because Nintendo just does Nintendo. But speaking of Microsoft, we have another rumor, this one coming from Jeff Grubb and uh, confirmed by Windows Central. Apparently, Microsoft is going to be working on a Monster Hunter-style game. Now, this game reportedly would be is in development and is being developed by Certain Affinity. Certain Affinity has worked as a support studio on both the Call of Duty and Halo franchises. Uh, apparently, this has been in development since 2020 and is slated for a 2023 release. So, those of you who are big fans of the Monster Hunter games... Definitely keep an eye out in um, 2023. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they made an announcement or a teaser trailer of some sort this summer. Uh, so keep your eyes out on that. I also am not surprised at this because Microsoft has been looking to expand their Game Pass lineup to include more multiplayer-focused games, which Mo Monster Hunter would be. Um, and I think it's interesting their influence on different development studios and projects that they work on. I'm going to guess that this isn't the first time or the last time that Microsoft has been working to make a copy of another popular franchise within the multiplayer space. So definitely keep your eyes out for that. I can't wait to see where Microsoft takes it and if it'll be any good. I, I hope that the concept is strong enough to hold through because I like competition in the gaming space. I like different companies being able to um, play in the same subgenre of video games and be successful. Very exciting stuff. Now, a little less excitement for this next story because we're jumping right back into some Activision Blizzard news. I know, it's week in and week out with these guys. We're constantly talking about them. Now, this conversation we're about to have is a little adult, a little more highbrow, 
Um, it is about the legal situation involving the Raven Software QA Testers Union uh, that they're attempting to form. I had reported last week that they had formed a union, but to be a union, you must be recognized by an organization. So Activision Blizzard, as it has not yet recognized Raven, uh, Raven QA Testers attempt at a union, are putting in place efforts to stop it, at least optically. Now, a lot of this reporting comes uh, by way of Hogue Law on YouTube. That's H-O-E-G Law on YouTube. I am not a lawyer, but this gentleman is, and he does a great job of breaking down exactly what complications go into this union effort. But I'm going to give you a short version and kind of soften up the edges and try and get it to you the best I can. So Activision Blizzard announced this week that they will be embedding QA, as in quality assurance testers, those are the people who make sure the bugs are not in the game and find all the bugs before they get released to the public. They are going to be embedding QA into different departments rather than creating a specialized QA department. Now, what this does is this breaks up the QA union by jeopardizing their shared interest. Now, shared interest is something that unions must be organized by uh, by law. Um, if they do not have shared interest, then you are not a union uh, as recognized by the U.S. government. Now, by embedding QA in a different departments, which is a common practice in the video game industry, it still calls into question the timing of this decision as it comes three days after the GWA or Game Workers Alliance announcement. So, the Game Workers Alliance announcement, that is the union that the Raven QA testers are going by, they have yet to be recognized or formally unionized. And by not being organized by shared interests, the GWA has an uphill battle ahead of them. This is not great news for those of us who are rooting for more unionization in the gaming space. Um, there is also still questions on how these 34, these specific 34 QA testers were employed and whether they were considered temporary employees or independent contractors or full-time employees. And depending on the timing of when their contracts came in to, to play, uh, they could also uh, be jeopardizing their union status. So, Definitely keep an eye on this because it is a lot of legalese and not, I don't expect all of us to be able to grasp exactly every step of the way, but I want to keep track of this story um, because I think it's important. And I think if these QA testers are able to unionize within Activision Blizzard, especially before they're being roped into Microsoft, I think you can see this have a big impact on the industry just in terms of galvanizing support for unions and other companies. I look at uh, games companies like Riot Games. I look at games companies like Ubisoft. There are certain companies that have enough bad behavior that I think it would be a benefit to the employees and the industry at large. I think we would get better products. I think we would have happier people making our games. And I think that would allow for all of us to be able to support this industry with no guilt, <laughs> because I don't know about you, but I felt guilty about buying the last Call of Duty. I felt, you know, a little bit guilty uh, buying Watch Dogs or, or some of these games that I know were made under crunch and were made by people who are not being paid fairly or treated fairly um, or who will not have any promise of long-term um, employment 
you know, gainful employment by these companies who are making billions of dollars off of gamers like me. But with that being said, we're going to go ahead and take a quick pause here. That's right. We're going to go ahead and jump into our first break, because when we come back, we're going to be doing a little review rewind on Pokemon Legends Arceus before we jump into our trigger warning topic of the week, which is, of course, we're going to be talking about Call of Duty and exclusivity on the Xbox and PC market. So please stay tuned, come back, and we'll jump right into it. My name is Wack Ops, and this is Hardcore Casual. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Hardcore Casual. I am your host, Wack Ops, and we're going to jump right into our next segment, and that is the Review Rewind, where we revisit the community response to the latest game releases and bring some titles to your attention. And there is only one game that holds up this spot. And quite frankly, I don't think this title needs any more of your attention. I've been tweeting about it all week. Pretty much anybody in the YouTube, uh, gaming YouTube or gaming Twitter spaces has definitely heard about this game. I'm sure the game's already been spoiled for you with all these people posting different screenshots and videos of their experience with Pokemon Legends Arceus. Now, Pokemon Legends Arceus just dropped two days ago uh, at the time of this recording. Right now, it is currently sitting at an open critic score of 84, with 90% of critics recommending the title. Now, this is what I've been able to glean from the different um, publications who've posted on the matter, as well as different, basically, Twitter reviews and YouTube reviews that I've been able to see. Um, a lot of pros to this this game. Now, before it was released, a lot of people had some apprehension because the visuals left much to be desired, and that still bears true. I do want to get that out of the way. This is not Breath of the Wild. This is not some AAA experience that you're looking for. And quite frankly, if you're playing the Pokemon franchises, still waiting for them to kick in those, those amazing visuals... Uh, they've never been the company to do that over at Game Freak. So hopefully if enough of us buy into this game, the sequel to this will come with some much better visuals. But let's go ahead and jump into some of the pros that I've seen. One, finally, finally, we get something different. It is extremely refreshing to play something less formulaic from Game Freak. I think a lot of people, that has been the biggest... um excitement around the game is that it's just something different from the Pokemon company and I think it's really important because it's been almost 25 years uh, that they chose not to change the formula at all it's always eight gym leaders you always go play the elite four you always pick a water fire grass starter that hasn't changed but you understand my point um you know catch them all and all this other stuff right now the gameplay loop is very fun. The side quests, uh, you know, they leave a little bit to to be desired. They're not all fun, but the gameplay loop of just going to base, gathering resources, making sure you're all set up, and then going out into the world to these different hub worlds and getting as many Pokemon as you can, researching as many Pokemon as you can, and really filling out that dex feels very rewarding. Also, exploration is awesome. I've never been incentivized to explore in a Pokemon game, but the exploration in this game 
is very cool just because I think they did actually design the world pretty well with different gates that won't let you cross, whether it be, you know, water or obviously there's no climbing in the game. So that is a barrier to entry in some respects. But being able to see something, go to it, see what kind of Pokemon are there and trying to remember where all these different Pokemon reside, I think is very fun. And looking for specialty items that are littered throughout the world is also very cool. Uh, I like how gathering items is handled in this game. And of course, there is a better uh, uh, incentive to catch them all. For a lot of Pokemon fans, we just play the story mode. We just play the game straight through. We don't do any of the extra side activities. I know a lot of people like to fill out their decks and things like that. This game incentivizes you to catch them all and then some uh, just because of how the gameplay loop is set up. In order to progress through the story, you have to catch a certain amount of Pokemon. You have to fill out the Pokedex a certain amount, and that is very rewarding um, as a, a way of impeding my progress, but also a way of forcing me to do more exploration and participate in this awesome gameplay loop. It also should be mentioned that the difficulty is more challenging and engaging, which I think for a lot of Pokemon fans is very important. Like, I have grown bored with the Pokemon franchise because it's so formulaic, and quite frankly, because they made it so easy uh, in the last couple years. I don't have to train. I don't have to think about the composition of my team, uh, at least not until I get to the Elite Four. And Really, it hasn't even been that hard since Gen 4 with Diamond and Pearl. Um, and that's, again, that's a, a subjective opinion, but I think a lot of the community would agree. And lastly, this is the big one. The dream has been more or less realized. An open world Pokemon game. There's not a lot of, there's no RPG elements or anything like that. Um, it is like pretty bare bones as far as an open world video game. But even within that, I think every Pokemon fan one day hoped that we would have an open world Pokemon game that made you feel a little bit more immersed in this universe. And that, for that reason, I love this game. Now, some cons. I will talk about some of the downsides to the game. Again, as I mentioned before, the visuals leave much to be desired. There's plenty of pop-in, there's texture issues, they definitely look, you know, a little worn down and, and just not uh, this generation. It doesn't even look 8th gen or 9th gen, it looks like 7th gen, like 360 era in some ways. Um, and the character models, you know, they're good, but there are definitely some frame rate issues as you look into the distance. Uh, the draw distance for some of these character models is not the best. Now, Another thing that somebody could consider a con is just the open world and it feeling a little empty. Not necessarily in terms of Pokemon, but just it just doesn't feel like it's realizing its full potential. But I will give them that this is, in fact, its first iteration, its first crack at the open world concept. So I'll give them a pass on that one. Um, and then thirdly, we have the fact that the mechanics are not nearly as tight as comparable AAA titles. You know, when you get an open world game, you expect certain mechanics to be really, really tight, and I think some of them are not fully fleshed out. Um, not entirely. I, I think 
it it plays well. I do think the gameplay is like it's not like a six out of ten, but it, it's probably not as tight as it could be, and not what we're used to in the Pokemon franchise as you know, people who do comp anything competitive in Pokemon are definitely going to find some of these things to have been changed and uh, might not be to their liking quite yet. But again, we'll see how that plays out, how we're, how we feel about this game, you know, two months, three months from now. And then lastly, one of the cons I find is that it is a little bit grindy. There are aspects to the game that are very grindy, like um, just some of the side questing, can be a little bit tedious or, you know, if you're not particularly interested in a Pokemon, but you're trying to complete the decks, uh, you know, there are some Pokemon who have very high, um, you know, requirements to complete their, their input into the Pokedex. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that gets, uh, as I get into the later game, hopefully with more powerful Pokemon or Pokemon that just appeal to me personally, some of that grindiness will feel a little less grindy. And then lastly, here's my full take on the matter. I love it, okay? For a first attempt at the open world Pokemon dream, I think it is wonderful. You know, although admittedly, I can't wait for Game Freak to do an iteration on this new gameplay style. I think that's what a lot of people are buying into this for. They want to learn the mechanics and all these things now because I think when Pokemon Legends 2 comes out, and this is me looking way too far ahead, but I think we're going to really be like, that will be the best Pokemon game ever, ever. I think the next Pokemon game in this franchise or in this series is going to be the best one we ever had. Um, if this one isn't already, some people are already calling this the best Pokemon game they've ever played, which I think I'm going to give it some time before I say anything close to that because... There are certain Pokemon games uh, that still are are stay in my heart for a long time, specifically Gen 3. Um, now, there are some aspects that I am not super excited about. Like I had mentioned before, side questing isn't always great. It is kind of a grind at times. And, and then specifically item management. I think they the way they handled item management is uh, going well, but... This is always my problem with any open world game. I hate item management. I hate being in my menu trying to figure out what I have to drop and what I have, what is most useful to me and then dropping something or selling something that I shouldn't have and things like that gives me anxiety. But other than that, you know, what I enjoyed about the game, I think the story is great. The initial concept and setup to your adventure, I think is really fun. I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't purchased it yet, but I think how they introduce this story from the very beginning is really cool um, in general. I think, I, and I can't wait to see how it progresses and what the end game kind of looks like. Exploration, as I had mentioned before, I finally have an incentive to explore. Uh, also, mounts are awesome. Now, visuals. Again, many folks are mad about the visuals, but I honestly, in my heart of hearts, I don't care. I love how it runs in handheld mode. I don't play uh, my Switch docked very often, so it almost makes no difference to me. And, and at that rate, I don't have an OLED, so the visuals are, aren't even as crispy as they could be, but I'm still enjoying it. I'm not bothered by the visuals. And I'm not playing a Pokemon game for visuals. You know what I mean? Even if it does look kind of like a PS3 360 game, I, I'm not here for that. That's not what I came here for. If I wanted visuals, then I would go play you know, 
horizon any playstation game basically you know what i mean i would go play a game on the ps5 or i would play uh you know uh, gears 5 or something like that you know what i mean some other triple a developed game uh then the gameplay i think is great the pokemon universe is something that i've always loved and i feel like i was finally getting the feeling of living in the world you know, this game captures that feeling and it creates tension when I'm trying to catch more intimidating Pokemon, which has never been the case in in the Pokemon franchise. Like, I've never been like, oh, my God, here's a legendary. I just save scum until I get it. But now I'm like, dude, I don't want to die. I don't want to get knocked out. My character having the ability to have my character almost be knocked out, I think is awesome because it it creates that tension. And I think in a Pokemon game. You need you need some tension in order to feel like you're getting the most out of the experience. And then, of course, lastly, the fun factor. How fun is it? Look, man, I'm straight up having a good time. Uh, if you haven't played a Pokemon game in a while, I think this is the one to pick up. You know what I mean? If you haven't played in a couple generations because the reviews haven't been whatever or they changed the formula in ways you didn't like, that's fine. Pick this one up, man. All I ask is that you keep your expectations in check because it is not Breath of the Wild. Do not expect Breath of the Wild. Do not expect Monster Hunter. Uh, imagine playing, you know, Kitty's first Monster Hunter, you know, with a Breath of the Wild open world without any of the exploration mechanics that Breath of the Wild allows. You're not going to be able to break the game and launch across the map or anything like that. It's not how the game works. Uh, it is a hub world based system. But like I said, if you haven't played one in a while, this is definitely the one to pick up. I would be giving this like an 8.5 out of 10 from what I've played so far. I'm trying to account for my nostalgia and my own love for the Pokemon franchise when giving it a score. Um, but again, this isn't an official review because I'm only 10 hours in and I have much, much more to get to. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into our trigger warning topic of the week. Now, this is where we dissect, deep dive, and discuss one story that deserves more attention. And this week, we have to talk about Call of Duty and if it will be exclusive to Xbox and PC. Now, why do I have to talk about this? Because last week when I reported on Microsoft's purchase of Activision Blizzard, we didn't discuss um, kind of the ins and outs and nuances of certain conversations that are happening in the gaming space because I wanted to make sure we got all the facts ba laid bare, you know what I mean, right at the front. So if you missed last week's episode, definitely check that out because there's a lot of pertinent information as to what we're about to discuss here today, um, though you don't have to to be able to understand what we're talking about today. So will Call of Duty be exclusive to the Xbox and PC. We're going to try and answer that question today. Um, Microsoft recently has come out and confirmed that it will honor all existing contracts with Sony, keeping Call of Duty on the PlayStation for at least the next three titles, so presumably the next three years. So let's just take that off the table right now before anybody gets too crazy and starts thinking that it's going to be a, an immediate thing. Everything we're talking about today is basically post-2024. So 2025 and on is what we're talking about. Will it be exclusive from that point on? Now, Phil Spencer has also come out and said last week, um, we had spoken about it, that he 
you know, Xbox has the desire to keep the franchise on PlayStation, though there's no contingencies that were stated uh, as the deal has not yet closed. I don't think he, he can speak definitively to that because the deal does not close until at the latest, I believe, end of June 2023. So if that's the case, we're not really going to know any kind of definitive answer, but he used very similar language when he picked up Bethesda and Zenimax, or excuse me, Microsoft picked up Bethesda and Zenimax, and his comments there were very like, oh, we don't want to tear communities apart, but went ahead and announced that these games would be exclusive to the Xbox platform. So why would uh, Microsoft and Xbox keep Call of Duty exclusive? What incentive do they have to make Call of Duty exclusive moving forward? Three words. Game Pass, Game Pass, Game Pass. That is the big movement. Again, remind yourself every day if you can, if you're in the Microsoft ecosystem, you are in a service-based ecosystem. You are not in a hardware-based ecosystem. So Game Pass is the big incentive for them to keep um, these games exclusive because it is going to be the biggest draw they can possibly get to get people to convert to Game Pass, whether it be just regular people walking down the street or people who already own Xbox uh, who aren't bought into Game Pass, or if they can, convert people who own PS5s, people who are in Sony's ecosystem, people who are PlayStation fanboys. But if you mainly run Call of Duty and Madden and you pick up a Bethesda game every couple years, Game Pass is the move, you know? And then secondly, you know, Sony is Xbox's main competitor in the home console market. And many casual gamers, as I just said, buy Call of Duty every year, with PlayStation being where the franchise is most often purchased. So if you take into account that PlayStation is the heaviest piece on the board for Call of Duty, taking that away from them would not only be a huge hit to the PlayStation ecosystem, but it would also boost your your uh, place in what sells most, at least in the U.S., as far as software. So it would be a huge boon just to Xbox in and of itself without Game Pass being involved, which, of course, it will be. But, you know, that's beside the point. I think it's important to note that even if Call of Duty didn't go to Game Pass, if that exclusivity would still be a huge hit to Sony and their bottom line. They sell a lot. Uh, Call of Duty sells a lot of consoles for Sony. Um, but those are the reasons why they would keep it exclusive. I have my doubts, but let's talk about why they might keep it multi-platform. Couple of reasons. One, Microsoft would lose a huge part of potential sales of the most popular franchise in the United States. They make, they would still make tons of money if Call of Duty is sold on the PlayStation Store. Again, these storefronts only take anywhere from 18 to 30%. It would be 30% in this case, but anywhere from 18 to 30% to sell on their platform. And let's not discount this. With more copies being sold, that exponentially affects your ability to sell microtransactions. And I think that is a big part of this that people are forgetting it's the amount of microtransactions that Call of Duty is able to push out to its customers is so much that, honestly, I think a lot of people would look at it at 
Microsoft making this exclusive as a mistake because they'd be missing out on a big, big bag um, in the near term, right? Now, if Call of Duty is um, day one on Game Pass, you know what I mean? It would still drive customers toward the subscription service by highlighting the benefits of the service. If you just rip Call of Duty out of PlayStation's ecosystem, it doesn't really allow people to compare and contrast why Game Pass is such a great um, deal for them. You know what I mean? But if you say, oh, well, Sony's selling Call of Duty for 70 bucks, or you can give us $15 a month and you can have Call of Duty for free and however many hundreds of titles. You know what I mean? And Starfield. And, you know, you have access to EA Play and Ubisoft and all these different publishers that are already putting out games specifically for Game Pass. So I think that is an important thing just in terms of marketing, being able to, as a customer, let's say I'm coming in blind, I'm buying my first console, I don't know what I want, but I know I want to play Call of Duty. Maybe I don't even need a console. Maybe I just need a controller and Game Pass and I'm not tripping. I don't even have to be a quote-unquote core gamer. You know what I mean? I think that is incredibly important in terms of how they market this purchase and how they market Call of Duty moving forward. And lastly, I think this is probably the most important one that a lot of people um, are kind of missing from, from this, is that antitrust regulators may see exclusivity, like specifically the Call of Duty franchise being exclusive to the Xbox platform, as an anti-competitive business practice. And currently, Microsoft is trying to keep the FTC, and the DOJ from viewing them as a monopoly. All week, the main word tied to Microsoft outside of purchase, acquisition, Activision, Blizzard, has been monopoly. And that is something they are desperately, desperately trying to avoid. So if they come out and they say, hey man, we're not taking anything from Sony. We like competition. We're just providing our customers a, uh, you know, a better proposition, but we're not telling them that they're not allowed to purchase it elsewhere, I think would, you know, do big things in terms of keeping them from being, uh, you know, deemed a monopoly from these organizations that can do something about it. Because if me, you, and other gamers, other people in the space are like, oh, Microsoft's a monopoly, that doesn't mean anything if the government doesn't recognize them as one and put in place regulation to keep them from doing business as they want to, right? So, here's my take on the matter, right? Those are all the kind of key points that I've been seeing gathered around the space around this and different things I've seen people bring up. My take is this. I think Microsoft will keep the Call of Duty franchise multi-platform after 2024. The financial incentive with microtransactions, cross-platform play, and Warzone is enough to keep the game on PlayStation. Much of what Call of Duty is and why it's a popular franchise is because of its community and because of its accessibility. Exclusivity may greatly harm the franchise as a whole instead of convert PlayStation gamers into Xbox ones. You know what I mean? Like, if they make it exclusive, it could be the poison pill that really hurts the Call of Duty franchise, not only in terms of profitability, but also in terms of um, just the way it's viewed in the popular zeitgeist in the gaming community. 
you know, oh, you're you're the company that killed Call of Duty is not going to be something that they want attached to their name. They would much rather have it be, we just make the most money from it. And then lastly, you know, I think PlayStation players looking at the cost of Call of Duty on their platform versus the proposition of Game Pass offers a unique benefit to Microsoft. I can see PlayStation owners buying into the subscription service rather than buying an Xbox just to play Call of Duty or playing Call of Duty and one other game or something like that. This is Microsoft's business model. Consoles no longer matter and nothing is stopping a PS5 owner, a PS4 owner, PlayStation gamers from just subscribing to Game Pass. Because Game Pass is something you can play on your phone, your computer, your iPad, your laptop, whatever. So it's not as if it's an issue for someone who already owns Sony hardware to be able to participate in Microsoft's ecosystem. And I think that is the big proposition that is going to keep Call of Duty multi-platform and keep it from being exclusive to Microsoft's ecosystem. But you know what? You've heard what I think. I want to hear what you think. Holler at me. Come and join us and be a part of a growing community. And don't forget to support the show. Once again, write in, man. I want to hear what you think about this Call of Duty uh, exclusivity. Do you think it's going to be exclusive after these next three titles? Go ahead and write into the show at our email. That's wackops at gmail.com. W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter or on Instagram. That's at wackops once again. W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. If you're showing love, I need the sub. If you're trying to holla, I need the follow. If you enjoy the content, don't forget to comment. And if you're liking what we do, please download, share, and review. Uh, We are available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you enjoy podcasts. Now... Let's go ahead and talk about our weekly poll from last week before we get up out of here. Last week's weekly poll, are you picking up Pokemon Legends Arceus at launch? And 88% of you said that you were, in fact, picking it up on day one. I cannot wait to see these sales numbers because I think this is going to be one of the best-selling Pokemon games uh, ever. And then for this week, our Twitter poll is, do you think Call of Duty will be exclusive to xbox after 2024 please go ahead and check out our twitter at whack ops and participate in our weekly twitter poll it definitely helps us get a gauge on where our community is sitting so i I, i'd love to hear from y'all but i'm gonna go ahead and get up out of here before i do i will leave you as i always do with the shout out of the week and this is where we give people their flowers and hold them up high and this week Surprise, surprise, we're actually going to be giving it to a company this week, and that is Nintendo, because the Nintendo Switch has officially outsold the PlayStation 1. Uh, It also recently, just recently as of last month, passed the Nintendo Wii. It is currently the fifth best-selling console of all time, sitting right around 103 million consoles sold since launch. So shout out to Nintendo for coming off of the Wii U with the fifth best-selling console of all time. Everybody and their mama got a Nintendo Switch, and they're still selling like hotcakes. Congratulations for making a uh, a generation-defining 
piece of hardware uh, that I still play every single day. So congratulations to Nintendo. Take those flowers and hold them up high. Very excited for that company. Very excited for everybody who's been able to enjoy their Nintendo Switch. And hopefully you're playing you're <laughs> hopefully you're playing that new Pokemon Legends Arceus on your Nintendo Switch right now as you're listening to this podcast. That's certainly what I would be doing. But without further ado, I am Wack Ops. This is Hardcore Casual. Have fun, be cool, and stay dangerous. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Hardcore Casual. Join us next Friday with your friendly neighborhood news aggregator, WACOPS. You can also follow us on social media at WACOPS, on Instagram and Twitter. Support the show by downloading, sharing, and reviewing. Available on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and Stitcher. See you next week.